Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 19 called Our God is a Consuming Fire. But he's writing to Jewish, first century Jewish believers who have professed faith in Christ. And he's laying out the new covenant, contrasting it with the old, or Sinai contrasted with Zion. Take a look. Hebrews 12, 18, the writer says these words. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and to blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. That's not where you've come. You've not come to Sinai, if you will. To the blast, Hebrews twelve nineteen of a trumpet and the sounds of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. We'll see that in a next study. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. But you, by contrast, have come to Mount Zion, not Sinai, but Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, notice, the mediator of a new covenant, the better covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it, now here's a warning, that you do not refuse him who is speaking. This first century audience was under persecution and threat. Some of them were thinking about going back to the temple, back to the law, etc. And he says, don't refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression 27, yet once more, denotes the removing of things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For, let's say it together, our God is a consuming fire. And so this is the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament account of Sinai as we turn back there. And what the writer is saying is we don't come to Sinai anymore because we can't be perfected by the law. In fact, the law has become our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. He's the one who kept the law perfectly. He's the one who laid down his life as that perfect sacrifice for us. And we now are find ourselves in him. And so as God descends upon Sinai, we have this wedding imagery and we have a time marker here in 19.1 of Exodus. It happened in the third month. If you have an ESV, that's the English English standard version. It says the third new moon, 19.1, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So the Exodus on that very day, the word day is Yom. They came into the wilderness of Sinai. That would be the wilderness of 
area immediately surrounding the mountain. The mountain will actually be named later in the chapter, I think in verse 11. Now, a time note. So I gave you the kind of the location note. Let me give you a time note. There are people who believe that it's been three months since they left Egypt. And there are others who hold that it's been 50 days. I had said three months, I think, in a previous message. But there is a good case to be made that it's been 50 days from the Passover and the Feast of First Fruits, that whole first weekend, if you will, 50 days until the law is given. This is what many of the Jewish rabbi believes, believe, rabbis believe. And 50 days should get your attention. Because from Passover, or actually first fruits, to the Feast of Pentecost is 50 days. And there are Jewish scholars that believe that the law was given on the Feast of Pentecost. Now here's a couple thoughts. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is given to the church, or the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven, what are some of the phenomena associated with that? Rushing sounds of wind. Tongues as of fire that light on each of the members of the early churches. They pray and wait upon the Lord. Kind of sight and sound phenomena that fits with Sinai. Here's the other thing. When the law is given, 3,000 people die because of Israel's disobedience. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved as a result of that first sermon. Therefore, there are many who believe, and I would lean in this direction, I have to really even correct myself here, that I think it's very good ground, since God is a God of calendar and order, that the law was given on the Feast of Pentecost. It's, a, it's not a critical matter, but it is something interesting for us to consider. And so if that's the case, God is aligning his calendar uh, to fit this. A little bit more of the location some very compelling evidence is presented that Sinai is actually Jabal, Jabal Allah's in Saudi Arabia. Quoting from another source, there are a group of scholars who believe the mountain is near the Gulf of Aqaba in what was once called the land of Midian. This location would seem to fit what the Apostle Paul uh, references to Mount Sinai in Arabia in Galatians 5, uh, I'm sorry, Galatians 4.25. And so that's just something for you to consider on your own, but you take some of the evidence of the timing, and, and it's really interesting. When they set out from Rephidim, 19.2 of Exodus, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. We have probably a million plus people now at the foot of this mountain, and a promise has been fulfilled. When you've delivered the people, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. And Moses had to sit back in awe and be thinking, you know, this is awesome. God has made good on his promise and God will get you where you need to end up, brethren. Amen. He is faithful to his promises. If he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. It is impossible for God to lie. And so they camped there for the better part of a year. We can see that taking Exodus 19.1 all the way to Numbers chapter 10, verse 10. And so Moses went up to God, verse 3, and the Lord, that's Yahweh there. Whenever you see it in all caps, you got Y-H-W-H there. The Lord called to him to Moses from the mountain, saying, 
Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. So Moses in that role of a mediator, he goes up. He represents God to the people and he represents the people to God. That's what a mediator does, right? And so Moses goes up and he gets word from the Lord. And the Lord says, this is what I want you to tell my people. I want you to convey this. In case you're interested, house of Jacob would remind us of their humble beginnings. We know only about 70 people. The original family of Jacob came to Egypt during a famine. How many people left Egypt? Some 400 years later, perhaps millions of people. God multiplied his people. So they were simply just a family or an extended family that came into Egypt. They're called the children of Israel as well. One writer says, employing this dual designation for the nation, the Lord reminded them of their humble beginnings as descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, who had been with them in Egypt. And now their status is amazing. Think about your beginning as a believer. Some of you have been in the Lord a long time. Think about what the Lord has done in your life. Maybe think about generations that have embraced the gospel because the Lord reached out to you and saved you. And now many of your family members know the Lord and perhaps are serving the Lord. Think about your humble beginnings. Don't forget. <laughs> and for I can tell you this for me personally, how far I have come from a wayward you know, teenager and young adult to God saving me and calling me to feeling almost an immediate call into the pastorate. And now some three decades later, just looking at God's faithfulness in my family, in the ministry. Tonight, you're going to get to hear from radio and podcast listeners. We're reaching uh, people all over the world from this little church in Corona. It's amazing. Our missionaries, our evangelism team, there's so many things to celebrate tonight. So I hope you're going to be here. But God is good. And um, I think this is a reminder of their humble beginnings. And then a beautiful image in verse 4. You yourselves have seen, this to be conveyed to the people, what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you. That means I lifted you up, I carried you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. In the language of covenant or a contract, I want you to notice, if you're taking notes or just if you highlight your Bible, the words you and I or you and me. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is covenant language. This is the language of you and me. For those of you who have been uh, married for some time, you know this does define a lot of our married life. It's been you and me, babe. <laughs> it's been me and my beautiful bride for 31 years now of incredible marriage uh, by God's grace built on, on the foundation of the gospel and God's goodness. Not been perfect, not been without its bumps, but a commitment that we made, a covenant that we made to one another, which we want to take seriously when we make a covenant. And since this is wedding imagery here, God is saying, I made the first move. I swooped in, in this beautiful uh, language, and I saved you, I carried you, I bore you on eagles' wings. When a mother eagle uh, has her little eaglets up in the nest, maybe on a high cliff, when it's time for them to learn to fly, she literally pushes them out and they start falling. Ah! <laughs> and Mama Eagle watches. And if it looks like they're not going to make it, she will swoop down 
and literally carry them on eagles' wings. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called In His Image, A Case for Life in a Post-Roe v. Wade World with guest speaker Scott Klusendorf from the Life Training Institute. You know, sometimes we as pastors think, oh boy, I don't want to get distracted. I want to stay tethered to the Great Commission. And I agree, we should be about the Great Commission. But the question is, what does the Great Commission teach? The Great Commission teaches that we are to disciple believers. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey all that Christ commands. What is one of those commands in Scripture? We're not to shed innocent blood. Exodus 23, 7 teaches that. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 teaches that. Matthew 5, 21 references that. So when we speak about abortion, which is the shedding of innocent blood, we're not distracting people from the Great Commission. We're helping them align with it. You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com, or you can subscribe and follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. That's Walk in Truths a step closer on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. And literally carry them on eagles' wings. And God says, I want you to see that image in what I did for you. I'm the one that sent Moses. I'm the one that heard your groanings. I'm the one who knew your burdens under the Egyptians. And I, I bore you. I sent the eagle, if you will. I came and swooped in to save you. I carried you. And there are many times in all of our lives where we could say, man, that's the best description of my journey. The Lord carrying me through and blessing me with his love and the beauty of his heart. This is a summary of our salvation. And there are three stages that another writer has pointed out in Israel's pilgrimage that you might want to write down. A bringing out, a lifting up, and a drawing close. And this is what God does. He brings us out of our Egypt, in quotes, our slavery, uh, to the Pharaoh, a type of Satan, to the taskmaster, a type of our sin, He lifts us up out of there and rescues us on eagle's wings. He lifts us up. He brings us out. He draws us close. This is the story of my salvation. When I first got saved, the Lord lifted me up out of the miry clay. And I didn't know really much about the Bible. But he started started to bring me out. Bring me out of my Egypt, right? Break away the past sins, you know, get me out of Egypt, but then get Egypt out of me. And now he draws, he's been drawing me close. And of course, all three do happen simultaneously as well. But the point is that this is our salvation story because we've been grafted in because the church now is the one who's a, uh, a group of priests. And uh, I, wanna, I want you to see this in Exodus 6. A kingdom of priests is what we are. Exodus 6, this is verses 6 and 7. And this is just a reminder of 
a sermon we did on the four cups. And we looked at this beautiful imagery of what God promises Israel. And here's what it says. Exodus 6, 6, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, 6, 6. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, kind of marriage covenant imagery. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I lifted you up. I brought you out back to Exodus 19. I was reading a commentary by Philip Riken, and he was mentioning the uh, eagles that appear in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, uh, The Hobbit. And they show up. This is the way he puts it. The eagle's wings are figurative and denote the strong and loving care of God. The eagle is a bird of prey. It attacks its enemies the way that God attacked Egypt. It also is a bird of rescue. This is wonderfully portrayed in J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy, The Hobbit. At two different points in the story, the heroes are rescued by eagles. The second time is near the end when they are surrounded by hordes of goblins. Just at the moment when all seems to be lost, one of them gave a great cry. He had seen a sight that made his heart leap. Dark shapes, small yet majestic against the distant glow. The eagles, the eagles, he shouted. The eagles are coming. And they get rescued. In the uh, Lord of the Rings movie, when... Frodo and Sam have gone to, uh, what is it, Mordor, and they've gone to that final mountain and dealt with the ring and everything. And they're there, and everything is exploding around them. And it looks like they're going to die in the fire. All of a sudden, what shows up in Tolkien's fantasy? It's the eagles. And they get swooped down and rescued. And this is what the imagery that Tolkien was trying to paint uh, in the movie. And this is the imagery that we have. We've been carried up. We've been adopted into God's family. Uh, We are on a kind of honeymoon, if you will, waiting for a time of consummation, which will be the new heavens and the new earth and the coming kingdom. Write this down if you're taking notes. This is Jeremiah 2, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Say this, I remember the devotion of your youth How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown, Jeremiah 2, 1 and 2. God's enduring love for his people is pictured in the book of Hosea, in the story of the prodigal son, and in the very word of agape. God is bringing now his people close. He's saying, I want you to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. I want to consummate What we began here, I want you to know me and I want you to be a light to the Gentiles. And if you think about the purpose of the nation of Israel, they were not chosen because they were more numerous than other people. They were not chosen because they were more crafty or intelligent than other people. God said, I chose you simply because I decided to love you. And from Israel comes the Messiah, who will be the greatest expression of the love of God to the watching world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
And so Israel was chosen to bring forth the Messiah, but also to be a light to the Gentiles. And they were given a contract, a ketubah, a covenant to keep. This is how you're going to do it. You're going to represent me. Before we get there, let me just give you one more beautiful passage. Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 12, in Moses' final song, he says, The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 12. And I want you to think back to your own faith journey. Think back to the number of times that the Lord has carried you and sustained you. When you had nothing, maybe when your faith was low, maybe when you were in a very difficult season, he kept you as the apple of the eye. He hid you in the shadow of his wings. You've been listening to Our God is a Consuming Fire, Part 2, on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus, Chapter 19. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel. If you're having a hard time and need someone to talk to, or maybe you don't feel like talking at all, but you could use some prayer, call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. One more time, 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe the last couple of years have been difficult and you would say, I don't feel like God's been carrying me at all. In fact, uh, you know, maybe I, I feel like I got extra weight on my shoulders. You know, that's kind of how Job felt during Job's whole odyssey. He felt like God was not carrying him, but was against him. And he was asking questions like, well, what did I do to deserve this? And, you know, what did I do to offend the Almighty? I thought I was living right. And these can bring up some deep questions. But remember that Job became a picture of Jesus, the ultimate innocent sufferer. I wish I could tell you and explain to you why all the things happened that that happened. And maybe you're still reeling from COVID or been battling a sickness or lost your job and you're in a financial tough spot. Maybe your business didn't make it. You know, there's a number of things that can come at us. And and we start asking questions about, you know, where is God? And, you know, Joseph could ask those questions when he was uh, in prison, falsely accused. He probably did ask those questions, but he remained faithful to God. And ultimately God turned it around. And uh, that's my prayer for you is that you'll remain faithful to God and hold on because God has a way of not only turning things around, but exploiting tough situations we've gone through for the glory of God and for others to hear the gospel. Hey, if we can pray for you in any way, you can submit prayer requests at walkintruth.com. There's a comment section right there. Just say, hey, I'd ask you guys to pray for me, walkintruth.com. 
Well, hey, uh, we're coming to the end of our fiscal year on March 31st, and we had have had a goal we've been praying about to reach 50% listener funding. What does that mean? Well, we have a budget, and it's well over $100,000 a year for radio ministry, and we've been praying that listener support would get to 50% so that it would be less pressure on the local church that I serve as senior pastor and so that we could expand into additional radio markets. And we have a few opportunities that are kind of on the cusp right now. We'd like to take advantage of those, move into some different states where we know there could be a great impact. Um, and you as a partner giving a monthly gift or even a one-time gift, help us get toward that goal. So I want to say some thank you, some shout outs to Jared from Rancho Santa Margarita, who gave a gift of $20. Thank you, Jared. Ronnie from Whittier gave $20. And Roger from Harupa Valley uh, gave a gift of $75. Uh, each time a gift is given, I think you, you folks represent uh, a wider group that's listening but haven't given yet, maybe haven't connected with us yet. But uh, we love to hear from our listeners. We love when, when a gift is given, that means a lot to us because it tells us you believe in what we're doing, you trust the word that's going out, and it, it does speak volumes and it, it does encourage our team. It encourages me. And we do this because we're passionate to reach as many people as possible with the life-changing word of God. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 19 called Our God is a Consuming Fire. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.